0: Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday Morning Message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You can find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty.
1: This is probably going to be the quickest scripture in prayer ever. Stand and we'll read from 2 Corinthians 5, 1 verse 17. I'll give you guys a second to get there. You're probably all familiar with this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold. All things have become new. I think we all can relate to that, I hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for so many things in our life, your goodness and your grace towards us each and every day, especially this verse here, that you put a plan in place before the foundation of the world that you could make this happen in our lives through the blood of Christ. And uh, there's so many things that, uh, that we could thank you for. Uh, your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword that cut into our hearts, and turned us towards you. We thank you for that. We thank you for this church and for what it stands for. And may the word always be the number one thing. For it's in Christ's precious name, amen.
2: This morning, we are going to start a new series. If you want to find this particular series of topical messages on our website, when you go to the listen link, go to the heading that says topical messages. And you'll find a bunch of previous topical messages, but that's also where we're going to store these messages. In the big picture, this particular series is going to be about the Trinity. As we study through the Bible, we hear a lot about God, God the Father. We know God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator and judge of all things. And then we get to the New Testament and read a lot about Christ. And we will be concentrating on the life and ministry of Christ when we get to the Gospel of Luke and begin that teaching in the weeks and months to come. But in order to understand the fullness of the Trinity, we also have to understand the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I'm going to concentrate on for the next couple of weeks that was actually asked by someone who said, as long as you're doing the Trinity, could you spend a little time talking about the Holy Spirit, which I am happy to do. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, that is a word that also means breath, and in fact Jesus himself combines those two concepts of breath and spirit in John 20 verse 22 where it says, when he had spoken to his apostles he breathed on them and then he said to them receive the Holy Spirit. And that particular adjective, Holy Spirit, is very informative when we talk about the Spirit of God. The world that we live in is a physical world. Most of what we interact with on a daily basis is physical, tangible, stuff that you can touch. But the Bible speaks to a tremendous degree about spirituality, genuine spirituality, spiritual wickedness in high places, or decisions and counsels in the heavenly places, or throngs of people around the throne of God in a spiritual place. And we, because we are physical, fleshly, earthly people, it's hard for us to get a hold of the idea of spirit and really hang on to it for very long because it's not tangible. Now, the spirit of God is a particular spirit. There are lots of spirits spoken of in the Bible. We're told to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. But there is one singular unique spirit, which is the spirit of God, who is referred to in the Greek as the Hagion Pneuma, And that word hagion means holy. And that makes him distinct and separate from every other spirit that ever existed anywhere. He is the completely righteous and pure, sinless, holy spirit. And as I like to point out whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, You, being fleshly, being physical, being sinful, being depraved, being fallen after Adam's race, if you are being influenced by the Holy Spirit, well, then that ought to show, because that is very, very different from you. At the same time, if you are able to demonstrate any kind of holiness, righteousness, concern for the things of God, interest in the things of Christ, that can only be inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. That's not something that you dredged up. That's not something that you grew interested in just because of your tangible day-to-day life. God, through his Spirit, is drawing you, is teaching you, and is changing you, conforming you, into the image of his son, and he accomplishes all of that by his Holy Spirit. If he didn't begin the relationship by putting his Holy Spirit in you, you would not care about the things of God. You wouldn't care about the Bible, you wouldn't care about the things of Christ, you would not get up on a Sunday morning, get yourself dressed, wash your face and go to church. You'd stay in bed because you wouldn't care about the things of God, but the fact that you do care about the things of God is a sure indication that God is working on you through the agency of his Holy Spirit. Now a moment ago I told you that the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which is also the word for breath or wind, and so the study of the Holy Spirit is referred to as pneumatology, that's just a combination of pneuma and logia. There are a lot of ologies that we refer to in, uh, in theological circles. We talk about theology, which is theos, the name for God, with the logia. So you get theology out of that. Or Christology or ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. There are all these different ologies, words about, studies about. So pneumatology is the particular study of the Spirit of God. And in order to understand pneumatology at all, you really have to start at the very, very beginning. And I don't just mean at the beginning of theology. I mean the beginning of the Bible. So as often as I have joked... As we have been reading different sections of the Bible, and I have gotten frustrated and said, oh, okay, Genesis 1-1. This morning we're starting in Genesis 1-1. So if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to begin reading, because as soon as you get to the very first page of Scripture, you are introduced to the Spirit of God. What we know for certain, John tells us this, in John 4, that God is a spirit. He is non-corporeal. He doesn't have a physical body, but he is a spirit and therefore by his spirit he accomplishes things here on planet earth. Genesis 1.1 tells us That in the beginning, three words that we don't begin to comprehend, let me point out. What's the beginning for God? We can only assume that he means at the beginning of this creation, at the beginning of his determination to make uh, everything. At the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, darkness was upon the surface of the deep, despite the fact that the planet was without form, that it was completely void, that it had no living creatures on it. It had no living plants on it yet. It was all completely dark over the surface of the depths of what would eventually become planet Earth. And nevertheless, even though there appeared to be nothing, the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters. So in the beginning, though there was nothing, there was God and there was the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God became the agency for all of creation. There are over a hundred references to the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, starting right there at the beginning. According to the New Testament writers, they refer to the Holy Spirit who was promised by God to his people, whom Jesus explained in John 14, If you're going to try to flip around to these things, you're going to have to move pretty quickly. But John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus starts to explain the Holy Spirit of God. So this is a really difficult concept for us to get a hold of. But let me see if I can extrapolate on it to the degree where you can kind of grasp it a little bit. The very Spirit of God that is the creative Spirit of God that was hovering above the waters when the earth was without form and void, that spirit of God, that very mystical spirit of God, the creative knowledge of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God that was in the formless void of planet earth in the darkness, beginning the creative process, that spirit is the same spirit that the New Testament writers say is in you. That's kind of hard to grasp. The same God who raised Christ from the dead by His power and by His Spirit is the same God who raised you from your spiritual deadness by that same Spirit. The Spirit of God is powerful. The Spirit of God has the ability to create and creates in you exactly what Steve mentioned just a moment ago in his very well-chosen verse for the morning. God inside you makes all things new. He recreates you. He rebirths you because it is the Spirit of God that first took the nothing and made all of creation out of it, that same spirit inside you, inhabiting you, takes the nothing that is you, the spiritual deadness that is you, resurrects you to new life the same way that the Spirit of God resurrected Christ to new life, raises you to new life, and then doesn't just leave you there, takes everything that used to be you and makes it all new. This is the very creative spirit of God. And what I want to emphasize is all the time that he is creating, and all the time that he is remaking, and all the time that he is awakening you and resurrecting you, he is also completely and utterly holy. Therefore, The direction that he is driving you in as he is recreating and remaking you is in the direction of holiness. The spirit of God, the creative spirit of God doesn't make people worse. The spirit of God makes people far beyond what they could be naturally. If God left you to yourself, you would be nothing but the depraved person that you were born to be. It takes God inhabiting you, changing you, recreating you, powerfully recreating you, overwhelming you, which, by the way, he's perfectly capable of doing because it is that same spirit that made everything. And you think that that spirit of God, that mighty creative spirit of God can't overcome you And your little will and your little determination, the Spirit of God, the powerful, creative, Holy Spirit of God, once he gets a hold of you, will change you, will conform you, will make you more Christ-like. And that is the process of this entire life. So here's the way that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit of God. In John 14, he actually gives the Holy Spirit of God a couple of nicknames, and one of the nicknames that he gives him is the parakletos. Now, Paracletos is a really interesting word because para means alongside, the parakletos is the one that comes alongside, and that means that he's there to help you, that he's there to guide you, that he's there to teach and instruct you. It is the very spirit of God coming alongside in order to guide you through this lifetime, through this physical world. So Jesus says, John 14, 16, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Really interesting choice of translation here by the NASB, because Jesus is said to have died for our sin debt, but now he ever sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Which is good news. It means that whenever we do sin, whenever we do fail, whenever we rebel, whenever we come up short of the glory of God, Jesus himself who died for our sin debt sitting at the right hand of God is advocating for us. He is able to say to God, yes, I saw what he did. Yes, I know what he's like, but look at the holes in my hands. Look at the price I paid. Look at how I shed my blood for this person. Therefore, Jesus acts as our continual advocate, and beyond that, Jesus, our advocate, says that the Holy Spirit of God is equally advocating for us. Let's be clear. You need an advocate. Okay, so we have have a lawyer sitting in the room. I hope that's not frightening to anyone. but, But when he goes into court to go represent somebody else, he's an advocate. That's what he's doing. He's representing somebody else. He's representing his client. Same language here. Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit of God that created everything is your representative in heaven. How secure does that make you? How safe are you if the Son of God and the very Spirit of God that made all things is there on your behalf? And so, yeah, every once in a while you're going to mess up. Oh, I'm going to fix that. All the time, you're going to mess up. On a regular basis, you're going to mess up. It's really good to know that we have this eternal advocate who is night and day advocating for us because what else we read is that night and day, the accuser, Satan himself, is at the throne of God accusing us. So he's working as our accuser and our advocate, our helper. Our representative is the very son of God who shed his blood to save you. And you need that because you don't have access to the throne room of God. You don't have access to go in and plead your own case. You need an advocate. And it's good to know that both the son and the spirit are there advocating on your behalf. So, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, another advocate, a parakletos, one that walks alongside you to guide you through this life so that he may be with you forever. Now, this is really interesting because we do see the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. We do see that the Spirit of God, the language is, he comes on people. He appears for a while and inspires people. For instance, King Saul, who was not a good king. King Saul, at one point, it says, the Spirit of God came on him, and he began to prophesy to the degree where the sons of the prophets were asking questions like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean now that Saul's among the sons of the prophets? What's going on here? But then we also read that the Spirit of God left Saul And he went mad and was trying to kill David. Okay, so the Spirit of God was like an inspiration in the Old Testament, but he didn't constantly dwell with people. What happened after Christ came to the planet, after Christ gave his life, is that he went to the Father. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit takes up residence inside us. And according to Jesus, is with us forever. It's a permanent thing. That's very, very different. What's the difference between... The spirit who would come upon people and inspire people and the spirit of God who would come indwell people permanently as a down payment of their eternity. What's the difference? What made the distinction between those two activities of the spirit? Well, only one thing, Jesus' death. That was the dividing line, if you will. That was the moment in time when the Holy Spirit then could take up residence in the people that God was in the activity of saving. So I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever, and then here's another nickname that he gives him, the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. Jesus tells his apostles that when the Spirit comes to them and inhabits them, that the Spirit is going to remind them of everything Jesus said. He's going to tell you the truth. That's why we have confidence that the New Testament writers accurately told us what Jesus said and what Jesus did. It's why we have confidence in our Bible, because it is being guided by the Holy Spirit. But then look at the next phrase, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another advocate so that he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, speaking to his apostles, you know him because he abides with you and will be in you whole new thing. Jesus himself said the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. Do you ever wonder why the world is so crazy? I mean sometimes you You just can't take it anymore. You feel like you have to duct tape your head closed because the world is just so crazy and upside down and stupid and ridiculous. And every once in a while, you look at the world and you go, how can these people not see that what they're doing is insane? It's because they don't have the spirit of truth. They don't know the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is not in them. Okay, what Jesus just did is he divided all of humanity between those who have the spirit of truth and those who do not have the spirit of truth. Okay, so who made that determination? Who decides who gets the spirit of truth and who doesn't get the spirit of truth? Did the people decide? Did you decide one day, you know what? I think I need me, the spirit of truth. I'm going to go... Remember, if you don't have the spirit of truth, you don't know the truth, so you don't know you need the spirit of truth. You don't have the wisdom to understand you need the spirit of truth. You think you're just fine, you love your sin, you're going through your life, you're fine, you're dandy, leave me alone, don't tell me about that God thing. So you're not the one who woke up one day and went, you know what, I'm gonna make a decision here. Okay, yeah, I'll take the Holy Spirit. That never happened. If you receive the Holy Spirit, it was a gift from God because Jesus just said, I'll pray to the Father, He will give you another advocate. So He's the one who's doing the giving. If you are among the very fortunate people who have received the Holy Spirit, it's because God the Father gave you the Holy Spirit, who Jesus says the world not just doesn't receive, cannot receive, can't do it, it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't matter how clever they think they are, how much education they get, how many college degrees they have, the one thing they cannot get is the spirit of truth, the parakletos, the advocate with the Father. So all of the world is divided by the Holy Spirit, those who have and those who don't have. And that is why, by the way, a minute ago I said, you know, sometimes we look at the world and the world seems exceptionally stupid to us, and it's because we have the spirit of truth and they don't have it. But that's also why they, the world, don't understand us, because they don't have the spirit of truth. And because they don't have the spirit of truth, they have no comprehension of truth because they have no comprehension of what truth is, when you come along and start talking about the reality of the Bible and God and Christ, they're not going to understand it, they're not going to comprehend it, and they're not going to join you in that because they're going to think, well, you're crazy, you're the wrong one, you're the one who's making stuff up because you believe because of the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate, so that he may be with you forever. In a moment, Paul is going to tell us that when God gives the Holy Spirit, that is a down payment for everything else God intends to do for you. God doesn't make mistakes. If he has given you the Holy Spirit, he gave you the Holy Spirit on purpose, And the reason that he gave you the Holy Spirit was to seal you so that you would remain in the faith of Jesus Christ for the whole rest of your life. So that when you get out into eternity, you are forever with the spirit of God who created everything from the beginning. Are you getting the big picture here? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about a really sovereign God who really knows what he's doing. That same creative spirit of God that made everything from the beginning, is given to you in order to seal you and in order to deposit within you what is going to be required in order to get you all the way to your eternity with God. And that spirit of God isn't given to everyone. It's only given to the particular people that God determined to give it to. Have I said anything yet that Jesus didn't say? No. Nope. No. So then you got to deal with it. Then you got to live with it. You got to deal with the fact that the world does not because it cannot receive the Holy Spirit of God. But some people do receive the Spirit of God. Why? Because God gives them that Spirit of truth so that they can understand the truth of God's word and the reality of Christ and the reality of the spiritual realms and the reality that God from the very beginning decided what he was going to do. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate so that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him, And it doesn't know him, but you, you'll know him. Why? Why will you know him when the world doesn't know him? Why will you know him? Because he's going to abide, stay with you, and because he will be in you. And you're going to experience a change, a change that you can't really explain to yourself. Because you're going to be able to look back on who you used to be, and you're going to realize that you're not like that anymore, and you're going to think, how How did I become this? I didn't grow up planning to be a Christian person. I didn't grow up planning to be a church-going, godly person. I grew up going my own way, doing my own thing. For me personally, rock star. That was plan A. How would I end up here? I'm standing in a pulpit preaching the word of God. How do you make that transition? The Holy Spirit of God. Who changed me. Who conformed me. who is in the process daily of convicting me. Teaching me. Guiding me. Governing my behavior through this lifetime. And he does it because he's all-powerful. Because he's creative and because he's in me. And because he's stronger than me and eternally wiser than me, he defeated me. And I am really happy about that. Amen. Now. You want an example of the fact? I mean, the Bible talks a lot about the fact that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit of God. When Stephen was being stoned in the book of Acts, Stephen said to the men who were stoning him, who were among the leaders in Jerusalem, this is Acts 7.51, he said, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, what an interesting phrase, these were all Jews. They were all circumcised in the flesh, physically circumcised, spiritually uncircumcised, unchanged. Their hearts were hardened against the things of God. You men who are stiff necked, that means stubborn. uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears. You don't have a heart for God. You can't hear the things of God. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you are doing just as your fathers did. Always resisting the Holy Spirit. And by the way, once in a while people will yank out that verse in order to demonstrate what they think is free will. And they'll say, see, Right here, Stephen said, you always resist. That means the Holy Spirit is resistible. So where's your irresistible grace? Because here these resist. Therefore, that proves free will because Stephen says you do always resist. So that proves free will. It does not. Stephen said you always resist. If all you can ever do is resist, that's not free will. That is a hardened heart that's going to remain hardened. Why are they hard-hearted? Why are their ears closed? Why are they blinded to the things of God? Because they don't have the spirit of truth. And because they don't have the spirit of truth and are always in their flesh, therefore they always resist the things of God. And the first thing of God they always resist is the spirit of God. That creative spirit of God. That spirit of God that is holy and righteous, they do always resist that. And if you always do something, you're not free to do the other thing. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Okay, so they then would be among the world who cannot receive the Holy Spirit of God. They are always standing in opposition to the Holy Spirit of God. It's through the Spirit of God, as I mentioned earlier, that we received the Scriptures. The Scriptures themselves not only declare the Spirit of God, but they are the result of the Holy Spirit of God. Peter tells us that the very fact that Scripture includes things like prophecy is proof that the Holy Spirit is the genuine author of Scripture. Because no human being can accurately tell you what the future is going to be. Beyond that, God also says, not only that he tells you what the future is going to be, but he can tell you what the past was, and importantly, why. Why these things occur. Okay, that's knowledge only God has. And then we find some of that knowledge in the word of God. I have frequently through the years tried to argue, no, I've successfully argued. Doggone it, I'm arguing. Yes. I, have, I have tried to demonstrate through the years that one of the ways that we know that the Bible is the very word of God is that it does contain prophecy. And there's no other literature, religious literature on the planet in the history of mankind that engages in this kind of prophecy. Find me one. Only the Bible does that. Why does the Bible do that? Because it is demonstrating that the spirit of truth and the spirit of God not only knows what the future and the past are, But they declare what the future and the past are, therefore God can write it down in advance because he knows, he can say in advance, this is what's going to happen. And then it does happen because he has the omnipotent power in order to make it happen. And part of that power is the Spirit of God that is working in this world, driving the world inexorably toward what God has already determined. So the fact that prophecy exists in the Bible is a demonstration that it is written by the very Spirit of God. Well, Peter picks up that very idea. In 2 Peter 1.20, we read, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. There's no human being that ever sat down without the Spirit of God and determined what the future was going to be or was able to prophesy the future accurately. Why? Because, verse 21, because no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God Mm -hmm. that's why there's prophecy in the Bible and it's interesting that the Bible inspired by the Spirit of God drove Peter to point that out to us it should have been immediately recognizable on the surface but just so you don't miss it Peter took the time to write it look this book is full of prophecy how did it get here? Well, that wasn't the work of men, and that wasn't an act of the will of men. That could only be the Spirit of God driving men to speak from God in order to accurately tell you what the future is going to be. And it's an astounding thing. There are prophecies in the Bible that actually took place in time and history that we can go back and read extra-biblical sources. You can go back and just read history books and find out that the things that the Bible predicted actually occurred. We know when Isaiah wrote. We know when Daniel wrote. We know when these prophetic books, Ezekiel, we know when they were written. And then they include prophecies about what's going to happen. And then we know in history when those things actually occurred. And you can check it and discover that, in fact, the prophecy in the Bible so far is 100% accurate. Which leads me to believe that the rest of the prophecies in the Bible are also going to come true 100% accurately because God has that kind of perfect batting average going where prophecy is concerned. Okay, how? How did that happen? Peter says, by the Holy Spirit the spirit of God driving the writers of the Bible in order to say things that are impossible without the spirit of the creative God telling us about it. Long as we're in the book of Acts, back in Acts chapter 1, this is the beginning of the Pentecost story. Jesus, before he left the planet, promised his apostles that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit of God, who was going to be with them, stay with them, abide with them, and be in them. And so then Jesus goes to the cross, he's dead for three days, three nights, he resurrects again, he appears to them over the course of 50 days, he sails off into the blue, and before he leaves, he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he comes to them by his Holy Spirit. Acts 1, starting at verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. There was a gathering of about 120 people that were gathered there in the upper room. So Peter stood up to talk to them, and he said, Brethren, the scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So Peter sees Judas' own betrayal of Jesus as the fulfillment of scripture that was written by King David a thousand years before that, and Peter gives credit to the Holy Spirit and says, The scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold. He doesn't say David foretold it or David prophesied it. He says it was by the mouth of David, but it was the Holy Spirit who predicted it. Now that tells us something really, really important, which is when you're reading scripture, You're reading the very words of God, and he is speaking through the individual authors who wrote these various books that we call the Bible, the collection of books, but Jesus himself frequently said to the Pharisees and to the unbelievers, he'd say, haven't you heard what God said to you, and then he would quote from the Old Testament, because He believed that the Old Testament was the very word of God spoken by God through the pen of the individuals who wrote these things down or through the prophets who prophesied these things. So you can have tremendous confidence in your Bible that when you're reading it, that is God speaking to you. I've had people say to me sometimes, do you hear the voice of God? And I say, well, yeah, when I read the Bible... Yeah, but do you hear him audibly? And I say, yeah, I read it out loud. (laughs) That's God speaking to you. Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons who were there together. And he said, brethren, the scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. That's what Judas did. But he's arguing that everything Judas did was predicted by the Holy Spirit so even the betrayal of Jesus was in accordance with Scripture which David wrote a thousand years before it happened. That's a God who has control of human history. For he was counted among us but he received his portion in this ministry. That's a quote from Psalm 41 which David indeed wrote a thousand years before it occurred. Same thing in Acts 4, starting at verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, and they said, O Lord, it is you who did make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Okay, they started at Genesis 1.1. In their praise of God, they begin at, you made everything. You created everything, who by... The Holy Spirit, that's right, the creative Spirit of God that absolutely created everything, by that creative Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, okay, that's a thousand years ago, did say, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? They quoted David from the Psalms in order to say that God was fulfilling scripture in the very thing they were witnessing at that moment. And the fact that the Gentiles and the fact that the Jews with their closed ears were in resistance to the message of God through Jesus Christ, they said all of that was predicted by God a thousand years ago. And he did it by his Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant And then predicted exactly what we're witnessing at this very moment. Am I boring you? No. Okay. Same thing in Acts 28.23. When they had set a day for him. This is the apostle Paul. Who's going to go plead his case. They came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and from the prophets, the prophetic books of the Bible. And he argued with them from morning until evening. So you all ought to just be happy that I only talk for an hour. Okay, so... (laughs) From morning to evening, he's in there persuading people concerning Jesus, and he's arguing the same way we do here, from the Bible, from the law of Moses, and from the prophets. Some were being persuaded by the things that were being spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word, Here's what he said, the Holy Ghost rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand and you will keep on seeing but you will not perceive for the heart of this people has become dull and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, because they will also listen. Okay, so that entire phrase, starting at go to this people and say, keep on hearing but don't understand, all the way to you're not going to hear, you're going to close your eyes, you're not going to understand in your heart and return to me so that I would heal you. All of that is from Isaiah. And Isaiah said that roughly 700 years before Paul is quoting it. Paul is standing in front of the leaders among the Jews and he is persuading them all day from morning to evening, arguing from the scriptures, from the law, from Moses, from the prophets, proving that Jesus is the Messiah to come and some of them just don't believe and Paul's reaction is to go back and look at the word which says they're not going to believe. And he says, the reason you don't believe is because Isaiah rightly said this about you. He rightly said that you weren't going to hear it and you weren't going to believe it. And how did Isaiah know that? According to Paul, it was because the Holy Spirit, through Isaiah, predicted that about you. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to tell people what the truth is. And those people wrote that truth down. And then in time and history, it proves to be true. What a surprise that the spirit of truth would be completely accurate when it comes to telling the truth about all of us. Same thing in Hebrews 3.7, which starts with, therefore, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95. So he's referring to David's writing a thousand years before he's speaking, and he says this is an accurate prophecy, and it's accurate because the Holy Spirit of God, the powerful, creative Spirit of God, The one who is in sovereign control of all human history was able to say a thousand years in advance that this is what you were going to do. And sure enough, you're doing it because the spirit of truth knew that was what you were going to do. Because the spirit of truth not only cannot lie and not only knows the future, but declares the future because of the almighty power of God to bring about the future he predicts. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years, and therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. That's the end of the quote. So then the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away From the living God. Okay, so take care, brethren. In case there's an evil in you, in case there is an unbelieving heart in you, what would that prove? It proved that you did not receive the Spirit of truth. All I'm getting at this morning is that the Holy Spirit, the function, purpose, and activity of the Holy Spirit demonstrates yet again the absolute sovereignty of God. It is by the Holy Spirit of God that he is able to declare the future. It is through that same Holy Spirit of God that he separates all of humanity between those who are believing and those who are not. Between those who know the truth, love the truth, are searching for the truth, can be conformed by the truth, and those who just won't hear it, who can't hear it, who don't want to know it. And the distinction between the knowing and the unknowing, the desirous and the undesirous, those who care and those who don't care, that difference is the Holy Spirit of God, whom God gives to those people he determines to give it to as a seal of their eternity. The Holy Spirit is very, very important in the life of a Christian. Finally, for this morning, This is Hebrews 10, 15. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their heart and upon their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Oh, that's good news. By the way, that's Jeremiah. And by the way, that's within the context of the promise of the new covenant. The promise of a new covenant of salvation by grace through faith was predicted by Jeremiah in advance. It's chapter 31. We're coming up on it on Wednesday nights. That was predicted in advance, then quoted after Jesus came and died and resurrected and went up to sit at the right hand of God so that he could ever be our advocate. The writer of Hebrews then says all of that was in accordance with what God through his Holy Spirit already wrote in the scriptures. That none of this is a surprise. This was God's determination and plan from the very beginning. And it was his determination to make this new covenant. The old covenant demonstrated, proved that human beings could not please God through their law keeping, that we in our flesh just simply could not be good enough to be accepted by God. Having proven that, God then forms a new covenant of salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you know who's going to have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Those who receive the Holy Spirit. Those who God gives the Holy Spirit are going to have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to lead you into the truth of the full sufficiency of Jesus Christ because he is the spirit of truth. And you only have him because Christ, the one who did die for your sins, the one who did die to redeem you, went to God and asked God to send you the Holy Spirit to seal you so that you would believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's in charge of the whole thing. You get the big picture here? And he formed that covenant whereby he was going to put his law into your hearts and upon your mind. And then your sins and your lawless deeds are going to be remembered no more. Now, this is a really important theological distinction. I'll say this, and then you can go eat. Not immediately. Wait until Micah dismisses you. But this is really important, this distinction. It does not say God by his spirit will make you so good that you then will become righteous in and of yourself and God will accept you on the basis of your earned righteousness. That's the way it is far too often taught and that is fundamental to the Catholic Church and to the version of the Lutheran Church that I grew up in. That God, by his Holy Spirit, empowers you in order to live a less sinful life. Instead, what he said is, yeah, you're going to do your unrighteous deeds. Yeah, you're going to sin. Yeah, you're going to rebel against me. But by the finished work of Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of God, God says, but I'm not going to remember it. I'm not going to bring it up. In the Psalms, it says that he casts your sin behind his back. Just forgets about it. Okay, so that is really good news to anyone who grew up, like I did, under the misassumption that what the Holy Spirit is doing is making you better, in making you more righteous, more holy. Because what I found out, was that despite whatever changes he was making in me I was still not good and so I had no choice but to just give up on the whole thing give up on church and religion go away sell my soul to rock and roll because I was convinced that I just couldn't do it and that the Holy Spirit was not achieving in me what the Bible said it was supposed to achieve in me. I was not becoming the, the, the level of righteous and good that they kept telling me I was supposed to be. And you know why that was confusing to me? Because it's not what the Bible says. Yes. What the Bible says is that you're forgiven and that he will not remember your sin. Yes, he's going to conform you to the image of his son. Yes, he's going to guide you through this lifetime. Yes, your goal in this lifetime is going to be toward righteousness and holiness, but you're not going to achieve that as long as you are living in this flesh until you finally lay this flesh down and are brought into the presence of a holy God and the only way you can stand in the presence of an ever righteous and holy God is if his Holy Spirit is there advocating for you because his Holy Son is sitting at his right hand ever pleading your case for you and therefore God will remember all the stuff that you did that was rebellious toward him and sinful toward him. And let's be honest, you've never heard anything better in your stupid little life than to know that the God who is holy and righteous would forgive you. And he is doing that through the agency of his creative, righteous, holy spirit. In league with the plan of God the Father, who determined all these things from the beginning, in league with the Son who died and gave his life and then went to the Father and asked the Father to send the Spirit to take up residence in us in order to preserve us and get us to our heavenly destiny. The three together are working toward your salvation. Okay, I promise, last question. If God is that for you, well, who can be against you? Yeah. He's so for you that he sent his son to die for you. And then the son asked the father to send the Holy Spirit to seal us and be with us forever. The father is for you. The Son is for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. How saved are you? Completely and utterly saved by their work, not yours. You get it? it, Okay, that was part one of the Holy Spirit. Next week, part two of the Holy Spirit. Please stick around and eat with us. I'm done.